ready to rise above loud, angry headlines, longing for an alternative to the world's fighting and fear-mongering? Christianity Today magazine offers a trustworthy, faithful perspective on stories that matter to you, from the church next door to movements and ministries all around the world. Subscribe to CT for full access to in-depth reporting, insightful commentary, and redemptive storytelling, both online and in print. A subscription to CT also includes seasonal devotionals, special issues, and exclusive content. Visit orderct.com today or click the link in the show notes to get started and join a growing community of thoughtful evangelical Christians who value different news that makes a difference. That's orderct.com to subscribe today. Right. Well, the people in the room have submitted thus far about 50 questions. Oh. So. Okay, Barnabas, I have to tell you one thing as we get started. On Twitter, I'm constantly seeing somebody say, okay, AMA, and that means ask me anything. Yeah. And I'm thinking, that is the last thing I would ever do in the entire <laughs> world on social media. The last thing. What does it feel like to be a heretic? That's the number one question. <laughs> <laughs> Well, because we don't have time to get through all 50 plus questions, um, those of you who still would like to submit something, if you could jump on the link and just vote questions up, I will try to take the ones that the majority of you want answered, and we'll try to handle it that way. Uh, that way we can get through as, as many as possible. Uh, one of the first ones I saw come in, and it's, it's been voted up near the top, is, I think this is a great question, what is a practice you utilize to overcome bitterness? Y'all have had plenty of opportunity to sink down into it. Whoever wants to go first. A lot of music. That music can get through the defenses sometimes where nothing else can. So uh, great worship music. Just I, How many songs have I sent you in the last couple of years? Yeah. It's like over and over. That's, that's really good. And of course, you know, I'm... There's just, there's no new key to this. This is about intimacy with Christ. This is gonna be prayer. It's gonna be, it's gonna be being in the scriptures, but it's also gonna be having people um, around you that you do not get isolated. Yeah. You have got to have people around you that are gonna love you no matter what. Um, one of the things that, that I think we both could say, uh, Russ, that has helped each of us get by is that we've got some people in our lives that love well. Yeah. Uh, they do. Uh, my yeah. daughters, just, there's just nothing I can do to run them off. And, you know, and my husband's going to get mad at everyone for me. So, you know, you got to yeah. have that. Yeah. So. yeah and, I, and I would say, for me, the problem is not bitterness as much as it is. There was a very wise older pastor who said to me one time, um, I think what you've got to look out for is that there's, a, there's probably a lot of anger, but you don't know it because you're not an angry person. You're not, you're not accustomed to expressing anger. So you've got to watch for that internal anger so that can then ultimately turn into bitterness. And I think watching, sometimes you can see a cautionary tale. And I've seen a lot of people 
in Christian life who have sort of ended their lives bitter and angry and resentful and keeping a list of who did what and who said what, and you just think, I don't want to be that person. That's it. That's so true. I wonder what it's like to not be a person who is angry. That sounds like a fun experience. (laughs) All right, here's another one. On the other side of leaving... Are there new or unexpected places or ways of thinking you find yourself entering into? So, not just exiting from somewhere, but entering into something new. Beth, we'll go to you first. Oh, absolutely. One of the things that we did at Living Proof, um, partially because we had to, because when the backlash happened after the fall of 2016, We had many, many people that had done the Bible studies that um, really got mad, and that was was it. So it was a financial, a tremendous financial hit to the ministry. And um, so we had to, for a lot of reasons, go small. Um, But also, it's been a wonderful thing to just sort of have to start over and to have to, you know, we brought our events in. The hardest, one of the hardest things for me, I never would have left Lifeway, never. I loved them so, so very, very much. But we took on everything at Living Proof. We're this big, there's 15 of us. And so, yeah, you know, we've, we've had to go back all the way, almost starting over. And we, when we have some, 200 people, 300 people sign up for an event, we're like, oh! We had 200 people sign up. And it's just like, so the wonder is all back because there's so much dependency. We're not going to make it if Jesus doesn't carry us. And so, yeah, it's kind of been exciting. Keith and I, we planted our lives in a church this big in Houston, just that most people don't even know about. And it just, I don't know, something about it's wonderful. Yeah. And I would say having friendship, both of us have had friendships across these denominational boundaries for for most of our lives and ministries. And um, having that sort of connection with the bigger body of Christ when people come in to, to care for you. I told Beth this the other day, I have never from junior high until now had people offer me so many beers and shots of whiskey as they have, as they have <laughs> in the last two months. And I've said no, but... Uh, that's, that's quite the advertisement for our church this is, uh, <laughs> But, but having, uh, having the sense of not so much building a bigger, broader uh, community of faith, but just recognizing that it's already there, I think is a good thing. Yes, All right, next up. Uh, Beth, this one's for you. You said earlier, uh, referring to uh, the 2016 election and comments and everything, you said you didn't expect us to be us. You expected Donald Trump to be who he was. How can we encourage a public discourse about making us what God expects us to be? So I think the emphasis of the question is on the public discourse, which goes off the rails quick. So how do we encourage that? I mean, am I safe to, to be frank? Because I think it is disastrous for any part of the believing world to be in a marriage in politics. It's disastrous. So when we are in a marriage with a political party, that means that 
we are already set up for compromise. When Russ first began to share with me about the opportunity um, to serve in a role as public theologian, I mean, you talk about... (laughs) This is where I want to bring up Ray Orland because we would sometimes DM and go, if he didn't take this, I don't know what we're going to do. You know, because it was like, this is, listen, this, buddy, this is, this is calling your name all over the place because we need this so desperately. How do Jesus followers, how, how do we walk faithfully with, with Christ in this kind of polarized world where we often walk into a booth with no great options. Teach us what to do. Teach us as a people how to be able to say to um, our government, this is unacceptable to us. We are are left, we're pro-life people from conception to the grave. This is our faith. I am very anxious for us to see some leadership where this kind of thinking is concerned because this is a, a gap where, where we have not been taught and discipled. We are so accustomed to thinking it always looks this way. Well, what if this way completely derails? Then what are we left to do? So I think that's, I, I forgive me, I, I could not have been more involved in discipleship in these last 30 years of my life. It depended on it. So when I say the following words, it is an indictment against me uh, as well. But I think what we've got on our hands is a, a, a failure of discipleship. We have not been taught how to do this. And so it's one reason why I'm so happy about this role. Thank you. All right, here's a little bit more kind of personal, bringing it into the home and personal relationships question. Russ, I'll go to you first with this one. How do you know when to challenge your loved one's dangerous views? Um, We'll leave that open to interpretation. And when to let go and quit pushing them. So maybe just say opposing views. When do you know when to challenge and when do you know, when, when should you let go and quit pushing? Well, I mean, if we're saying dangerous views, something that's a danger to you, Get out of there and and get uh, and get help. This this lists some political stances oh, okay. and then some health related stances that are divisive. Uh, so that'll clue you in. I, I got it. I'm yeah. so glad you got this question. Yeah. I'm just over here having my water. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think I think you have to uh, identify what your relationship with this person is. And what's going to make things worse and what's going to make things better? So uh, I've had a lot of people who've come to me with this question and they're saying, I don't want to go home for Thanksgiving or we're having all this conflict in our family. And what I've counseled them to do is to say, look, we disagree on these things. I love you. I want to be with you. Why don't we just say we're not going to talk about those things while we're here? Because, I mean, you're not settling the issue. It's not, it's not as though you're going to get and have this, this big debate at the dinner table and then somebody takes a vote. And, you know, that, that's not the way it works. And so just say, just say can we uh, relate to one another as mom and son or as brother and brother or whatever 
and just sort of take that off the table for right now. Unless you're in a situation where you really do have a responsibility for discipleship and, and, and so forth with somebody. But that's not what you, mostly is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, Can I ask a follow-up question? This wasn't written in here, but it's something that I think many of us have experienced. So maybe you're not initiating the conversation, but that person is proselytizing. Oh, sure, yeah. How do you respond to that? Well, that, that's what I say is to say, you know what? Um, let's, let's, not, let's not do this. Now, there are going to be some people who won't receive that, and you have to say, eh. yeah, they're the ones I'm asking about. Yeah, <laughs> if if they won't receive it, I think you have to you have to say, well, I can't put myself in that situation where I'm either because what you're going to have are people who some people have the vulnerability where they're they're sort of crushed by that kind of thing. Other people have a vulnerability where they're really tempted to quarrelsomeness and end up saying things that they regret saying and so forth. And so I think if you, I've seen this work where you genuinely say, look, I, I really love you. I don't want to have an argument about Bill Gates and the vaccines or whatever it is it's mm-hmm. that they're concerned about. And just sometimes remind people, hey, Let's, we're in the danger zone here. Let's, let's come, come back and, and talk about something else. Usually, that, that can take the temperature down temporarily. Thank you, yeah, thank you for that. Um, Beth, I'll go to you with this one first, uh, but I'd love to hear from both of you. Um, the broader topic of the evening was lessons in leaving. What would you say to those who choose to stay? So whether it's in an SBC church or a church that they've been wrestling with leaving, what would you say to those people? Oh, absolutely. And I think I want to echo something I said earlier. I think your first assumption is stay. Absolutely. We are, we are people of endurance. And, you know, we, goodness, when you're a member of a church for a, a, sometimes some of you a lifetime, for me, like 30 years at one point, eight years uh, another, the, you, you, see, you see it through. I, I feel like we're called to our church. I really do. So uh, we, we, just, we serve there um, as, as faithfully as we know how. And I want to say this, and I know that this is one of those things that people kind of like, oh, here we go. I, I, tr- I truly believe in the power of prayer to change lives and change churches. The first thing, listen, there is nothing more threatening to a status quo that is unhealthy than a group of people that just decide to start praying and don't pray with any other agenda except the will of God, the will of God. And I mean to get serious about it, I mean some faces to the floor over it. Boy, that's what I would say is start, I mean, get serious in prayer about what you're seeing. Have decent conversations where you're able to, you know, where you're not, where we're not so conflict driven that the moment we would sit down with someone that they would already feel like their defenses are going up. I want to, I hope you'd find this refreshing. My pastor for a number of years, uh, Pastor Greg Mott at First Baptist Church of Houston, we are very dear friends. And when all of this, especially when the second election came around, we made a decision, called one another, and went, we, we hang in no matter what. We, are fr- we were friends before this. We will be friends. And I mean, we made it. There's that. Just being committed to people, that some things to be open enough with people to say, we're not going to let this come between us. We're not going to do it, even if we did. He and I differ 
on a lot of it, but we're going we're to make it together. And I think there has to be that kind of, that kind of uh, attitude toward it. Yeah, I would say most people should stay uh, in a situation where they find themselves unless um, they can't. And I would say if you're the sort of person who likes the idea of leaving, you, you leave congregations or, or situations in your life, then you have to step back and say, okay, something is wrong yes. here internally. I need to work that through. But if the leaving is in order to say, I'm not trying to punish somebody. I think I can love you better from over here than yes. I can from in there. That's a very different thing. But it, it has to be a situation where there are people who are going to be in, uh, they're in an unhealthy congregation, and what they realize is the longer they're there, the more that they're focused on what's wrong in that congregation. And I would say, you know, first step is to, is to bear with people charitably, assume the best about, about everyone, and then uh, try to help the problem. A lot of times it's just people aren't aware that there is a problem. And only when someone is saying, you can't follow Jesus Christ and be here, that's the time where you have to say, well, maybe I need to be somewhere else. But even then, if you find yourself kind of angry and relishing that, then you're in a dangerous place for you. I think it's also, let me throw this in too from a pastor and a staff's point of view. I, my son-in-law was a pastor for eight years, so I know I've been on this side of it too where you, know, you don't know why someone left. Why, you know, they just began ghosting on you and suddenly they're, they're gone and you don't know why and they're going to another church. You see them at a restaurant. That's the most awkward thing in the world. But I, I would also say to you, also remember that sometimes revival is as much about who goes as who stays so, and who comes. So sometimes there are people that need to depart let them and bless them. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I would say if you're the sort of person who to your pastors, uh, you're constantly giving a threat of leaving, um, then something has gone wrong yes. with you. Uh, th- this should not be the yes. sort of power play that, you're, right. that you're using with, uh, with people in your life, especially when in most of those congregations, in most of those situations, 99% of the time, a conversation with the pastor would probably resolve it. The pastor yes. would say, I didn't even know this was happening. We can, we can work to fix it rather than just someone leaves or says, if you don't do it my way, I'm gone. Yeah, somebody who likes leaving sounds like an old George Jones song to me. So <laughs> I don't know that that's a great way to make decisions on church. Um, all right, Russell, this one's aimed at you. Uh, what would you say to the 2006 version of yourself today, the, uh, the one who called her teaching yeah. the gateway drug, that guy? Um, are you concerned you prematurely left some people who are now the Russell Moore of two th- 2006? Yeah. Well, I, I would say to Russell Moore 2006, go home. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I think what one of the things one of the things that has been one of the greatest errors in my life is I was really concerned about some of the things that I was seeing with kind of a nominal cultural Christianity, and I knew the dangers of that because I'd lived through it, and I assumed 
that theology could make this better. And so the reason that all of these congregations are splitting, the reason all these congregations are fighting, the reason that all of these things are being covered up is because they don't have adequate theology. And if we just can get that fixed, then that stuff goes away. And there came a point where I realized we've got the same stuff happening just with people with thicker glasses from reading theology. It, that, that alone doesn't correct it. It has to be something more than that. And so I think that there's a sense where in anybody's life and ministry, you start to realize, here are the people I was wrong about, the things I was wrong about. And you can do one of two things. You can say, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reconceive that, or I'm just going to double down. I've, I've kind of put too much into this. And I think that's, I think the, I think the Russell Moore of 2006 was um, very confident in many things that I'm glad I was confident about and still am, but was also really confident about some things that I didn't know what I was talking about. I'll have to say something in fairness to Russ because several times that we've been together, he has been humble enough to say that kind of thing. I want to state the obvious, which is that he was right about a lot of the things I was wrong about. You understand what I'm saying? I am a handful. So I just want to go ahead and say that because I certainly... I mean, I was not academically trained. I, I didn't know you couldn't say certain things and couldn't say it certain ways and all of those things. So it was also, some of that was just plain valid. So I, I just feel like I need to say that because I earned some of that. <laughs> I, I, I did. So you, you earned the gateway drug comment? <laughs> well, I just, you know, I just have said some problematic things along the way. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. With summer coming up, I'm already dreading not only the traffic on the roads, but also the increased cost of groceries and the fact that my children eat all day long. You know, we all have stressors. Some are big and some are small, like an increased grocery bill. But therapy is a safe place to actually get these stressors off your chest and to figure out how you can actually work through them. There are many benefits to therapy for people from all walks of life. It's helpful to learn positive coping skills so you don't freak out about that grocery bill and how to set boundaries. Therapy can empower you to be the best version of yourself and it isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's convenient, flexible, and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Russell Moore today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Russell Moore. This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and Certificate programs. 
Begin your master's or certificate program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu slash admit. Well, I'm I'm encouraged by the two of you looking back and just recognizing your own trajectory of growth and humility and sanctification. I mean, that's, that ought to encourage all of us. Um, yeah, please. Um, I'm going to put this one out there, and whoever wants to take it can. It's a bit of a loaded question, but I think it's a really important one. It's not, it's not like a trap question. What advice would you give church leaders currently affiliated with the SBC who are wrestling through how to consider whether or not to uh, unaffiliate? And then how might this look different in different regions like the Bible Belt or New England? And then somebody else mentioned have, being in an SBC church in a more progressive neighborhood where the label seems like a detriment. So how do you, what advice would you give to church leaders considering staying affiliated or not? Well, I, I would not encourage them to leave. I would a- encourage them to... I mean, the great thing about the SBC is I would always, about April or May say, oh, this is going to be a dumpster fire of a meeting. It's just going to be awful because so much craziness is going on. And then I would get there and the meeting was reasonable and loving and good things happened. And you realize, okay, well, that was Twitter. That's not uh, what's actually happening in the room. For me, it was never about what was happening there or what was happening with this great group of missionaries. It was with, it was with this smaller group of people uh, between the meetings. And the problem is that the healthiest people, and I, I think this is true in many denominations, the healthiest people are the least engaged. Because that is 100% true. they have lives, yes. they're not consumed with denominational <laughs> politics, they don't care if they serve on some committee, that's not what their life's about. They, they don't have, um, I remember being years and years ago, I was just starting out in ministry, I was at a Baptist associational meeting and this guy was coming to the microphone and was just ripping everybody and acting like a total jerk. And I said to my pastor, what is with that guy? He said, He's in a congregation where he's completely powerless, in a community where he's completely powerless, and he's beaten up all day long, and he's decided, I'm going to take my power where I can take it, and it's here at the microphone, and let's have compassion on him, let's not be him. Um, And I think that's right. So what I would say is, until people in whatever denomination you find yourself in, until people start to become actually more engaged and say, we're going to take responsibility for this, then you're going to have the continuing sorts of fracturing that we've had. Beth, do you have anything advice-wise? I've thought a good deal about this um, because it's like so many people would say, you know, that most of the churches know nothing about these issues, and I, I think that that is very often true, but I do think that it can be extremely important for pastors and teachers to be able to go back to their local congregations and say, these are the things that are being said about us. Here, 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 here. We don't want that to be true. 
And so let's be part of making sure that those things are not reflective of us in our congregation. I think to just shut it off and not take any responsibility for it is wrong, but to be able to go, okay, this is, this is our reputation here. What, what are we gonna do about this? Is this us? Is this us? I remember when somebody said to me, Beth, what, what do you want? And they meant it seriously as a fair question. What would you want the SBC to do? And I said, prove me, prove me wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I want you to. I want you to. Yeah. I, m- make it where history shows, you know, she must have made all that up. Because that just didn't turn out to be yeah. true. Let it be. Yeah. Let it be. Uh, that's what I would want. Thank you. Um, I think we have time for a couple more. Um, this, is, this, is a, this is a pretty significant one because it talks about which direction people are leaving in, I think. If one feels uncomfortable or disillusioned in the current evangelical culture, speaking of politics, legalism, etc., should one move to the ex-evangelical movement? Or is there an in-between? And then where did each of you land? So, uh, Beth, why don't we go to you first on that one? I loved what I saw someone say not long ago. You know who it was, Russell? It was Thomas McKenzie. Oh, yeah. He says in his book, The Anglican Way, that evangelical was meant to be an adjective mm-hmm. and not a noun. Yeah. That to say I'm an evangelical has taken on such, a, such political angst and such a political personality that that's what he felt that needed to be distanced a bit. But an evangelical Anglican, that happened to have been what he was talking about. Presbyterian, does, does that happen? I'm just teasing y'all. But, um, <laughs> but that, that bring it back to, because I'm going to tell you, I've been asked this a lot of times. Do you still consider yourself? Do, do I consider myself with a heart for evangelism to the death? To the death. I will proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ until my last breath, absolutely. So that's, that's a, that stays. But I do think that he's right. I think it was supposed to mean part of what described us, not us as a political entity. Yeah, and, and I, I mean, I am not ready to give up the word evangelical. It's too good a word uh, to, to give it up. I think we just need to be it. That's good. Um, that was a better answer. <laughs> but, but I also think the danger in a lot of the um, ex-evangelical movements and, and so forth is that it, it's kind of the, the same problem that we have in evangelicalism, which is a constant reacting and overreacting to whatever the last bad thing was. And so I don't care about whether somebody calls themselves an evangelical or not. But I do care about, does somebody believe the Bible? Does somebody uh, love Jesus? Does somebody want to to follow and serve him within the church? And call that whatever you want to. But I think that a lot of people are, a lot of people are assuming if I just leave and leave everything, then I'm going to find some sort of peace and contentedness. And I don't think that's the case. I, I do think... 
head and body, Jesus and church, are inseparable, and we have to love the church. Um, I think we should make this the last one for the sake of time, not because it's the only good remaining question. Thank you, everybody, for the questions you submitted. There were, there were so many good ones. Um, maybe Russell will do a follow-up Q&A podcast at some point when you use some of these. Um, the last one, I want to I ask a question that focuses a little bit more on our hearts, um, and it asks this, how do you guard yourself against self-righteousness? Uh, when in disagreement with someone over convictions who's also a believer, I often find myself getting frustrated with their lack of insert fruit of the Spirit here, or subconsciously writing off their credibility. So how do we guard against self-righteousness in all this? Well, I would say default to their credibility. And so for, for me to, to say, first of all, I might be wrong. Second of all, I might be right, but it might not matter that much. Or third, I might be right, but if I were in the situation that this person is in, I would probably do it, uh, see things the way they do. Um, There's a a great book by Amanda Ripley, sociologist, called A High Conflict. And one of the things that she suggests doing is role-playing when there's someone you know there's going to be a tense, conflict-filled thing, do a role play, and you play the role of that person. That's good. And it sort of gets you in the mindset of seeing most people aren't supervillains plotting to destroy something. Most people just genuinely are seeing something in, in a different way. So if you default to that, and then when it becomes evident that something else is, is the case then that's evident, but that should be the first step, I think. I agree with all of that, and I'd also say it's so easy to demonize people from a distance, to stay face-to-face and in relationship with people that differ greatly, so that you remember, these these are people that I love, and I think that is so key that it comes back over and over again. It's why we were told, you know, if, if you don't have love, then it's just like all, all a bunch of clamor because that is what's going to safeguard us. And I'd also say, listen, I'm, I know from prayer time in the, in the morning when I have my time with God, that's when I know if I've crossed over that line because it's going to come up in prayer every single time. I'm going to get a flashback in my mind about something I said yesterday that was so out of line and so... Um, full of it. I think that is part of it. Just stay real, stay very active in your relationship with Christ where you are, uh, that pipe for conviction is always open. Uh, Because I tell you, one of the things I prayed for tonight so hard, I wrote it down and stuck stuck it in my Bible, is that I would not fall into either of those two ditches when in serving you guys this evening, that it would not be pride nor false humility, which is just another form of pride. So these are, you know, y'all, we're just flawed. We're so human. Thank God for the cross of Christ. Thank God for the cross of Christ. And, And I would also just add to that, find the hurting people around you. Um, Beth mentioned Thomas McKenzie, friend of many of us here, Anglican priest here in Nashville, who lost his life along with his child a few a couple weeks ago. And I was thinking about 
one of the worst days of my life, I was scheduled to do a Slugs and Bugs children's program um, in, a, in a school classroom with Russ Ramsey, who's here tonight, Presbyterian pastor, Thomas McKenzie, Anglican priest, and me. And they called it a Baptist, an Anglican, and a Presbyterian walk into a monkey bar. And we were supposed to talk about child likeness while we're coloring and, you know, all this stuff at tables. And uh, Thomas and Russ were, you know, knew something was wrong. And I said, well, this is what's happening. Gathered around, prayed with me, and encouraged me through that in a way that I really... I don't think I would have noticed necessarily somebody else. And so be attentive to who are the people in your life who need um, to hear a word from you that's, everybody doesn't really hate you. you know, there, there are people who love you and we're here with you. That, that goes a long way. Or uh, Ray Ortland, who's the founding pastor of, of this church, um, sometimes in, in some dark moments, he would come to the door and leave things like a um, sugar bowl that was filled with these little uh, sayings in it. He said, just pull one out every day. Some of them would be a scripture verse. Some of them would be something funny. Um, some of them would be these, uh, but find the people that... Some of them that, would be Creedence Clearwater Revival lyrics. What's that? Some of them would be Creedence Clearwater Revival yes, lyrics, Creedence, I'm sure. Creedence, yeah, that's yeah. right, that's right. So just find those people in your life, and I think that, that so helps. Good. Yeah. Well, thank you both. Could we give them a hand and appreciation for... You've been so gracious. Thank you. Thank you all for being here. And I want to especially thank uh, Christine Kolb, who's here at Christianity Today. I work with her and, and the folks at, at CT uh, that I have the, the blessing and the privilege to work uh, with. And the team here at Emmanuel Church who just did an unbelievable uh, job, Trey Suey and Emily Sten and Jason Cheek and uh, Pastor TJ Timms and everyone else who put this together. And Nancy Guthrie, women's Bible teacher uh, here in Nashville, who's here with us tonight. Where is she? He's right there. It's her birthday. So wish her a happy birthday as you're going. Uh, Thank y'all. The Russell Moore Show is a production of Christianity Today. Eric Petrick is our chief creative officer. Russell Moore is the executive producer and host. Mike Cosper is our director of podcasts. Production assistance by Core Media. Beth Gravencourt serves as coordinator. Kevin Duthu, producer. Audio mixing on today's episode by Kevin Duthu. Our theme song is Dusty Delta Day by Lennon Hutton. Administration for Christianity Today by Christine Kolb and Pam Vodanova. If you like what you heard on today's episode, make sure you subscribe to catch the upcoming episodes. Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive transforming his world, and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. 
Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip.